it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? We are back. Chris Adams here. It is the pink elephant. And I have one of my favorite people on the planet uh, that's joining us today. We've known each other for, I actually don't want to think about how many years we've known each other and, and the fun times and stories that we've had. But I've got the one and only Mr. Tony Maddox, the president of Copley. Hey, man, how are you? I'm wonderful. And yourself, thank you, Chris, for adding. I, I'm better now. I get to stare at you for the next hour. So you always, you look, I mean, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fashion guy, but when I'm with you, I always feel like I've got to keep pushing the envelope a little bit. I mean, we all need that friend that want to make us dress a little better. I just happen to be your <laughs> one friend in our life. <laughs> As you're going through your list of friends, find the one friend that makes you want to dress better. That should be one of them. So dude, let's start with first Copley talking about fashion. Tell us about Copley. So, you know, Copley has been around since 1883. It's, uh, we're based in Canada. We have, have split our business between 50% custom and 50% ready to wear. We purchased 95% uh, of our fabrics from Italy. Uh, we make everything in Canada. So we employ over 380 Canadian workers every day. And everything is done just south of Toronto. And we are proud to be Canadian made, proud to be union made. And that gives us the ability to control quality, control the things that we do, and and put out a nice product uh, at a fair, reasonable price that, that that fits the market of specialty stores. You guys do a lot, though, in the U.S., though, yeah? So 65% of our business is is the U.S. Yeah. You know, just, just by sheer number of, of availability, like, so, you know, there's 38 million people in Canada I have a home in Houston, Texas, and there's 8 million people in just the county I live in. So, you know, you take, if I, if I travel to New York, Houston, and Chicago in that week, I'm in communities that have as many people as all of Canada does. 20% of those people live within 100 miles of the U.S. and Canadian border. So the market is much larger in the U.S. Yeah, makes sense. Sustaining a business over the past few years has been I mean, a monumental feat in its own, right? Have you guys, how did you deal with that? I mean, I can, I can talk for hours, I think, to people of just the past three years of being a business owner and navigating those waters that no one really has ever had to do that before. How was it for you going through that process? So I, you know, you and I had spoke in October of 2019 and, you know, I was very happy that, I, you know, we were building a brand new $11 million factory. So we moved in one week before the world shut down. So I woke up March, uh, March, I think 16, and we had 340 employees. And by March 24th, we were down to 12. And to be able to bring the business back and be able to bring uh, all of our employees back, you know, we did have about 25% that just retired. They were of age that, that they could retire. So that left a deficit for us to find new employees. During that time, A, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't leave the States and go into Canada because the border was closed. Uh, so I spent a lot of time on Zoom 
uh, you know, telling people we were having to lay them off. And that, as a highly empathetic person, and you know, I know people that are single moms and in all of this, and seeing having to lay them off was more pressure than the fact that our parent company had just invested $11 million in a new factory uh, because I was very in tune to everyone's lives. And, and, and that was a tough thing to be. And then to, I think in 2019, I spent 150 nights in a Marriott hotel and then to be stuck on lockdown, I felt like I was on house arrest for a crime I didn't commit. And that, that uh, it was, it, it took a toll, but, but being able to come out of that and, and to see a resurgence of tailored clothing, which has been unbelievable how, how much the pandemic influenced people when they, when they wanted to go back to work and, you know, they wanted to show that the companies that kept them, they wanted to come to the office looking their best and putting their best foot forward and showing I was worth keeping. And they, the best way to do that without saying anything is just put forth a better effort when you're showing up back at the office. Uh, that and, you know, as many weddings were put on hold, the, the, the tailored clothing business yeah. is definitely, see, I, I, when you and I talked one time, I said, I was hoping for a revival of the gentleman where they would come and, and want to express themselves. And we're seeing that mainly for special events, uh, but people are now starting to, uh, to, to want to improve upon and be a different person than they were on their house arrest during, during the pandemic. Yeah, you know, it's crazy when you talk about that because one of the things we've seen coming out of the pandemic and on the hospitality side is how well the luxury segment is performing. And no one expected that. You know, you, you would assume with everything that happened and job loss and everything else, the, work, the last thing that would come back is luxury. And it's been the exact opposite. Luxury is outperforming every other segment. And I think that falls directly into what you're talking about right now, which is really great to see. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, and people also had, had time that they didn't take vacations and they realized during that time, I'm not guaranteed I can take a vacation every year. So I'm going to take the best one I can. Uh, and I want it to be a wonderful experience uh, because we realized collectively that the world could stop on a dime. And that's something none of us ever thought would be a possibility. Yeah. How did it affect your personal life going through? And I kind of know the answer to this. So I'm teeing it up a little bit for you. But I'm, I actually have a, a deeper question around getting to the fun part of this. But on the, on the early stages of dealing with the pandemic and then getting to where you are now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say a little bit of a roller coaster emotionally of what happened when the world shut down to where you are now. Is that, is that oh, a fair? Oh, highly. So, you know, <laughs> it, the one thing I had in my mind was, okay, uh, the world has stopped. So now, you know, I, I'm not catching a plane every other Monday and, and I, I've been a widower for 13 years. And so I was looking to go on my last first date. And so it was... My thought process was, I'm going to have time. So I did Zoom dates. I did all these things. I actually went on one date, and the next day, she said, I tested positive for COVID. Uh, and a couple of weeks later, when I was someone else, they're like, I tested positive for COVID. My sister's like, uh, yeah, you need to either buy a lottery ticket or stay away from them. And so- You're basically zero. You're the one giving COVID to everyone. <laughs> you know, no, the, the thing is, is I tested negative. 
every time. So um, <laughs> there was a rumor that if your blood is predominantly bourbon, you won't you won't get COVID. Well, so that's the reason why, knock on wood, I still have not tested positive for COVID. So, Except, and, then, and then as as the world started opening up, but I didn't have to travel nearly as much. I, I started focusing on, you know, doing some personal work and asking myself, what was I really looking for rather than just not, you know, being on a dating site anymore or not, you know, going on any more first dates. What was I really looking for? And, and my um, decision of that, and I, I've addressed this with you in the past and you, you've been able to find uh, you know, not only a romantic life partner, a work partner, and someone to walk next to you. And, and that's, that's truly what I, I, I was looking for. I was looking to belong to someone, and I got very, very fortunate. I uh, met someone who is just absolutely amazing. Uh, timing is everything. We were both ready to make a, a choice about someone uh, rather than you know, just continuing to swipe. And so, and our energy matched and who we were as people, our goals. I, when we first started dating, I said the most, it's the most beautiful mixture of excitement and peace at the same time. Now I've had relationships that were very, very exciting and there was no peace. And I've had some that were peaceful and they were too peaceful and they were boring and you, you wander off, but this is that perfect balance of excitement and peace, which I didn't even know existed. And you, you, you have that coupled with matching energy, uh, coupled with life experiences that, that, that marry you together, that, that make it just an amazing thing. Uh, and it's not only just about us, uh, her wonderful family has, has accepted me as who I am. And, and she has a very large family, and I'm, I'm very, very happy that, that I've become part of that family. Dude, I'm so happy for you. Just seeing you talk about it, you, just, you're, you glow as you talk about it, and that's, that's so exciting uh, I, to see, my friend. I was, I was talking to someone the other day, and when I first started going out with her, I said, well, whoever wrote uh, the character of Wonder Woman you know, missed a few things because there's, she's so much more than that. So she's so much more than a Wonder Woman. And then I got to thinking, there's a scripture that says, God is love. And the, the love that she was investing in me made me realize that she wasn't Wonder Woman. She was simply a goddess because she was manifesting these, these seeds of love that she was planting on a daily basis in my life that were helping me love myself more helping me be a better father, helping me be a better friend, helping every area of my life be better by simply her planting these seeds of love and acceptance in my life on a daily basis. That's so beautiful and beautifully said, my friend. That's for sure. I'm curious, how has now having this amazing human being in your life on a personal level, how has it changed or potentially affected from a professional standpoint? Have you become more creative? Have you, have you, has your team come and said, man, I don't know what happened, but you're different. We love being around you or, or 
have you determined that, you know, I, I need to figure out how to retire quicker? Uh, you know, like what has anything changed professionally now that you have this personal piece of your life that has just fallen perfectly into place? Uh, I think the biggest thing is, is having this voice of reason. Uh, you've known me long enough to know that I'm a highly emotional person. I, I say it's because I'm creative, but, uh, you know, and, and having someone who is, is very analytical and just being able to look at you and say, the decisions you had to make for your company, you're taking them too personal. This, these, this, these actions that happened over the last few weeks does not make you a bad person. And, and sometimes uh, I have a, I have had a hard time separating wanting everyone to alike, to like me and appreciate me. And the only way I could get confirmation I was doing a good job is if everybody was, you're so wonderful to be around and, and, and to be able to get behind closed doors and have someone who's got your best interests at heart say, you need to, to let that go and, and know and her have the ability and, and have the success in her world that I have trust in her to know that you're right. This doesn't make me a bad person. I've made the best choice I could make. And, you know, most of the time there is a, not everyone's going to win. I was always looking for a win-win. And I've, I've realized in life sometimes that there's, there's not a win-win. You know, there's the quote said, if you, if you want to make people happy, sell ice cream, don't become a leader. I'm sure you've seen that quote. And I got to think the other day as I was driving, you know, Ben and Jerry sold ice cream. They couldn't even make each other happy as partners in life or in business. So selling ice cream is not the answer either. Just being comfortable in who you are and finding a partner that's able to support you and be, you becoming the best you you can be. Yeah, dude, I, I tell you, leadership and, and you know you know me very well and you know how passionate I am about leadership and leadership is hard, right? It is, I don't care what anyone says, if you're really doing it right, if you're going after it the right way, it is, it is difficult. It is exhausting. It could be tiring. And you, a true leader cares deeply about, about everyone, about everyone they affect. And it does, it makes it difficult. It makes it very challenging when you have to make those tough decisions, because the last thing you want to do is hurt those that you, you know, that you care about. And I can tell you having up in your life, whoever that person is, you know, if there's somebody listening right now and trying to figure out what's that next thing I need, having a person in your life, as you're going through that, that leadership process, it's almost a necessity. I, I, I look at our company and I look at the growth of our company and I look at the growth of me personally and professionally. I challenge that I would get to where we're supposed to be without that person, right? That, sure. that person is it in so many different ways that I don't think people realize is such a crucial part of your ability to be the person you're supposed to be. And that sounds crazy that you need someone else to make you who you're supposed to be. But I think that's the beautiful thing of, of what a relationship is and ultimately, you know, marriage or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're, that you believe. But I think when, I think that those worlds aligning and that person makes you so much better uh, of a leader and it makes me more creative. It make, I mean, the, I can go down the laundry list of how much of a better person it makes me by finding a person, that person that helps you do that. So I couldn't be happier for you. 
what is the old saying? If you, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, go with someone else. And, you know, some, so many people lose track of that. For pop culture reference, you know, the Miley Cyrus song regarding flower, you know, yes, you can talk to yourself alone like an idiot, but you're never going to solve any problems, you know, collectively. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about my partner. Seventy percent of the time, we are 100 percent aligned. And then the <laughs> other 30 percent, we are polar opposites. We could not be in any different world than those other 30 percent. But we're blessed enough to have the ability to communicate that both of us are growing into a better person by coming together. And on those 30 percent that we're polar opposites on doesn't make the other person wrong. But if you listen to them long enough, you change your perspective, which makes you grow and change as a person. Yeah. Change is tough, man. Change. Uh, I think just human beings in general struggle with change. And that could be changing your, yourself, changing where you put your car keys, changing the, the, the way you do processes. People just struggle with change in general. And so I, I couldn't agree more that part of the process of change is your ability to, to step back and listen sometimes and allow that listening to force you to have patience. And then almost a natural organic evolution of change begins to take place when you, when you allow those things to happen. It's not so much of, you know, you think of like stopping smoking where it's this change of like, okay, tomorrow I'm just going to stop and how difficult that is for, for someone to do when the reality is your ability to just sit back, listen, and let it organically take over the way it's supposed to. And then you look back a year later and go, oh my God. Look what I do now versus what I used to do. And it's this, it's a nice organic process versus you just trying to, all right, I'm going to be different starting today. That's a, it's a very challenging way to, to affect change. One of the things I've struggled with is, is learning that what got me to where I am and all these things in my toolbox and, and all the things that, that I have in my favor as I'm examining life probably those tools aren't going to get me to the next level where I want to be. And, you know, I, I've not even reached 50 yet. So I'm starting to think now what, what is long-term the end of my career going to look like and, and who do I want to be and coming to realize that, you know what, there's some things that got me here and some strategies that I use that, that, that are going to be worthless on this next level of my journey. And I, I have to change my mindset, which is, which is very tough to do when you have proven scenarios, but those proven scenarios aren't going to fit in the new place that you want to be. That's good. Uh, I've never really looked at it that way. Do you think that there is a, with everything that you've gone through, and I mean, that's a whole nother podcast of your, your former life and, and all the, you know, what got you to this point. But do you think that there is a foundation that you pull from that, like a, a core that says, this is who I am at my core. And there's going to be a lot of things that change around that. There's going to, this is how I did it. Now I need to do it differently. But the core of who I am will never change. Do you think that's the case? Or do you think that even your core changes? Well, I, I think your, your character doesn't change, which I think is what you mean by your core. Your, your core values, the values you have, unless I'll, I'll be very honest with this. When you talk about your core, 
sometimes your core is misaligned. So mm. sometimes your core has to change. And, you know, I, I'm speaking from, from a family situation. That's, that's one thing that, that, that my partners helped me become a better father, better connected with, with everything in my family. And, and I, I brought up something and I, and I said, well, I brought up a historical situation. And she said, you haven't evolved since that same time period. So why can't you give grace that others can evolve? So sometimes if, you're, if your core is not aligned to who you're supposed to be, sometime with growth, your core is going to change. Yeah, that's so true. And I can think back, look, growing up, similar to you, actually, growing up, there was, when I think of my core now that I talk about, I don't think about, I think about my core of being, I want to love people. I want to be a good human. I want to do everything I can to take care of it. Like those are my core foundations sure. now. Right. And I think about things that you, how you were raised, things you were taught, how you were brought up on certain things. And I look back and I go, those were things that at the time, like, this is it. This is, this is who you are. This is what you believe. And now at, you know, the age I am, I look back and I go, man, I have, I am not the same person that I was then. I don't believe those same things that I believed then, but who I am, even during that time that I can look back and say my thought, the way I thought was wrong, the, what I sure. believed at that time was wrong, but the core of what I wanted to be has not changed. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was, I was I, I was the the good human that loved everyone. Sure. I look back and go, man, I knew what I wanted, but I was a little off in in, in how the, how I was going about doing it. And, and I think we all have, and I, I think it comes to be a little bit of a, of a difference between saying core and talking about essence. The essence of who who you are as a person, mentally, spiritually. You know, that, that's sometimes we identify cores as values, but, you know, some, some, I think a better word, maybe from my perspective is your essence has stayed yes. the same and you've had to, and your core values have had to realign to, in order to be in sync with your essence as a human. Yep. You nailed it. That's, a, that's exactly, I'm going to use that moving forward. Thank you. I am now changing. See what I just did there. I'm changing the words that I use to make sure I'm I'm describing it properly and what I'm trying to say. That takes me to I was just having a conversation with someone, and we were talking about the the challenges that society we're seeing socially, and sometimes it's a touchy subject. Over the past few years, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened politically, and you see, you're seeing people this de divisive feeling. We could talk about the U.S. specifically, but you know it's really globally. And they were asking me about that. And I said, look, one thing I'm not going to talk about is get into politics and everything else, but this is what I will say. I hope and pray that we can get to a point that we can wrap our arms around people and mentor and teach and coach and get them to where they need to be, to be the best version of themselves without taking people that, that might have the wrong mentality that might be making mistakes but at the essence of who they are, they're a good person. They might be challenged in the way they think. And how do we get to a, to a place of love 
where there's enough trust and radical candor that we can have conversations to teach so they can become the best person that they, they should be versus throwing them away because they're not where they're supposed to be. And I hate the idea that people make mistakes and we're done with them because everyone's going to, right? And somebody made a point, and then I'm going to let you talk. Right? Last thing, and then it's all yours. Right. Listen, I'm this, okay. Is that I heard someone say there's a lot of things that we we believe right now that 25 years ago, from now are going to offend someone. It's going to be, I can't believe that oh, this is what sure. they did. Right? So how do we be forward thinking enough to say, hey, we need to all continue to evolve and grow and be grateful that we don't think the same way today that we did 10, 15, 20 years ago. But for those individuals that haven't evolved as quick as the other, let's not cast them out. Let's show them love to teach them and help them get where they need to be to be the maximum person that they're supposed to be. Part of it is, is just human nature. And you probably have heard me say this before. Uh, you know, my dad used to say people would be okay if they just weren't human. And <laughs> part of our humanity is as long as we can identify what's wrong with someone else, then it takes away from them looking at us. So it's a deflective tool. So I, I saw this, this uh, podcast the other day talk about, you know, the, the lady said that she went to work with a group for homeless. And the first thing that the people that were volunteering were bringing to her attention were, well, they're addicts, they're addicts, they're addicts. And, and you know, those two things are not mutually exclusive. You know, we all have in times in our life self-medicated. And, you know, if you're sleeping on the streets, you're more likely to need self-medication in order to make it through what you do. But we sometimes separate the, the person's struggle because if we can point to their negative thing that they're struggling with, that makes us feel superior about ourselves. And, yeah. and, that's the thing. and that even happens with as people are evolving and things they did and didn't do. Well, you know, you, you, you don't have to. You don't have to do a deep dive into yourself as long as you're pointing out someone else's faults. And I think our, our, our biggest thing we can do in order to overcome the, the fractured nature of our, of our country. And I think the biggest thing is, is we've lost true community. We've gathered together and we've identified with groups, but we no longer are part of a community. And what happens when you find not just true community in people that identify the same way you do, but if you bring other people in that you meet because you want to build a broad community, and once you learn to listen to someone's story, once you take the time to know someone's history, you become their defender, not their accuser. And that's our problem. We are all accusing each other of not growth at the same rate or what we're doing wrong. But if you take the time to get to know someone, then when someone points out their shortcomings, you immediately rise to the occasion and say, well, do you know this happened to them in their life and this happened? And you're able to give grace because you've taken time to get to know that person. And as long as we consider community a group we identify that thinks the way we do, we're never going to be able to cross over 
and become each other's defenders and heal as a nation. How do you think that all of this translates to you being a leader? Uh, I mean, the president of your company, a company that's been around since what they let the late 1800s is when it was originally. Okay. And it's, so you guys have done a few things well, uh, to, to be around this many years later, you've gone through ups, downs, twists, turns, you name it. You've gone through a pandemic. I mean, check the boxes of all the stuff that have happened that you guys, you're, you're still growing. You're still thriving to be the president of, of an organization that has had this type of longevity and success. How are you taking some of the stuff that we just talked about grace, the ability to listen, the ability over the past few years to find change in yourself? How does that translate to how you lead your team and how it affects them on a day-to-day basis? The biggest thing is, is I'm highly empathetic as a person and trying to listen and, and make, make the right decisions. And the, and the other thing is, in all honesty, is to be able to have fun. If, if I'm in the office, I, somebody came into my office two trips ago to Canada and you've known me a long time. And she came into my office and said, I've been wanting to talk to you, but I thought you were unapproachable. And that, that took me aback. And then I, I, I realized, am I not my jovial self when I'm on certain floors of the office? Am I trying to so much portray leadership that the core of my humanity that has gotten me to where I am allowing that to shine through. And that, that's something I, I've come to the realization that I need to do more. I need to stop putting up this fence to everybody and be more approachable and, and to be okay with, I might not have the answer you, you need. So maybe sometimes if you don't want to be caught off guard, you put up that fence because I may not be able to answer your question today, but people want you know you to be true and transparent and, authenticity. And I think I'm learning you can be a leader and still bring joy. Uh, I remember when I, when I first joined the company, someone, uh, I, I made a decision off, off, you know, on the fly. And I said, well, let's do that. I said, let's, let's keep so-and-so happy. And, and the person said, well, why do we have to make them happy? And I thought about it. And uh, this was my first year of being president of this company, maybe in the first six months. And then I thought about it all. I'm, I'm an overthinker. I'm trying to fix that, I'm trying to grow past that. And the next morning I, I brought her in and I said, you know, I said, I don't just want that individual to be happy. I can, I can do something that makes that individual happy in this very moment. But I said, I want everyone that works here to be happy. I said, I want you to be happy. And this person has worked for our company at that point for 26 years. And, and she started to cry. And she said, I have been here over 20 years, and no one has ever taken the time and told me they wanted me to be happy. I love hearing that. And one of the things that just, I just recently opened up a luxury hotel and there's a lot that goes into opening a luxury hotel. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of emotions. And I talk about the fact that when someone asks me, well, Chris, what is luxury? Most people attach a price tag to that. They think expensive. They think high dollar. And I always tell them luxury is very simple. It's one word, one word only. It's luxury is a feeling. It's that. It's how you make someone feel. That's luxury. And 
I could walk you through that in a, from a luxury hotel scenario, retail, whatever it might be, but it's a feeling. I said the key to leadership for me when I was talking to this team of trainers that come in from around the world, and I, I was leading, I had the, the luxury, the, uh, the pleasure of leading that team. And I talked to them about what luxury truly is. And I said, luxury is a feeling, right? And we always, we take that and we interpret that as, okay, how are we making our guests feel coming into this beautiful new hotel? And I said, you're very, that, that is absolutely correct. How are we making them feel at every turn and every touch point? I said, I want you to take it a step further and understand leadership. Leadership is every single one of those team members that come into work today, all 400 of them that are going to show up and, and punch in. How are you making them feel? Because if you can make them feel something, they will in turn ensure that the guests feel what that luxury experience is. And throughout this entire countdown of the opening, the, the hard work that goes into it, I, I, I do everything I can to try and exude that, those qualities of, of being a great leader. And on the last couple of days, we do, we did this little outing at night and I had just the trainers, not all the, the team members. And so we kind of were sitting, we're out on the beach and all talking about the experience of the past 11 days. And I think there's a part, you use the word authenticity, you know, authentic. I use the word vulnerable. I think there's, there's an element of leadership that Yes, when you walk into a room, they know you're the leader. There's a certain charisma that you have. There's an energy that you have. But there's also an element of vulnerability that makes you real, that makes them somebody that they can identify with. And on that, that beach that, that night as they went around in a circle and talked about the past 11 days and how much it impacted them personally and professionally. And an individual that said that prior to this, they were looking for other jobs because they just didn't think that they wanted to do this anymore. They weren't, just wasn't for them. And in the midst of these 11 days, they found their purpose again and their passion and tears coming down their face while they talk about it. And I talk and I get very emotional talking to them about how much I care about them and their future. And I think that you hit some, it's such a key point of leadership is being able to be vulnerable, of being able to look at people and say, hey, I screwed up. Uh, this was on me. I being able to have those types of conversations, them see you get emotional, understanding how passionate you are about things, not having that stoic presence at all times. I, I think it's a huge piece in, in being able to connect with your team from a leadership uh, perspective. So it was interesting to hear you say, uh, and even tell that story of just having that authentic moment with, with that person. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's extremely important to, as you know a little bit about my history, the way I was raised, in this thing where everything had to be perfect. And yeah. if it wasn't perfect, you at least had to make it appear to be perfect. And that is an extremely stressful way to live. And so there's been times I don't want to create an environment where everyone thinks they have to be perfect. There's been teams I've had, I came and I said, you know, I want you guys making uh, at least one mistake a week. I said, because if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying anything new. Now you have to make the same mistake three weeks in a row. We're going to need to have a conversation, but if you're so worried about messing up, you're never going to find this moment of creativity and, and the ability to, to allow yourself to blossom because if, that. if, 
if you spend all your time trying to be perfect, you'll never have any room for creativity and growth. And, and yeah. I, I was on a call this week with, with one of my employees and, and he just came and he, hopefully because I've created the environment and he said, I made a mistake and this is the consequences of that mistake. And I said, I'm not upset with that. We're going to, I'm going to give you three solutions on how we can work past this. But I said, what, I'll never fault anyone for making a mistake. I said, what I may do in this position is if you ever too harshly judge someone else that made a mistake, I'm going to remind you of the magnitude of today's mistake and ask you to find the ability to give the same lenience and grace I'm giving you today. And I said, I'll never bring it up to hold it over your head, but I may bring it to the forefront as a reminder that you need to give that same amount of grace as someone gave to you. Mm, that's, that's a powerful moment, man, from a leadership perspective that says, I always use the term failing. Does it make you a failure? Failure is part of the process. It's part you, you have to fail to win, right? That's just, that's welcome. If you don't want to fail, don't do what we do because it's just part of what it is. I will say, and I, I was doing an interview this morning and they asked me this, this question and I use this golf golf analogy and, and anybody that's not a golfer is I have no clue what I'm talking about right now, but Google it. I promise you I'm, I'm, I'm not lying here. But when you talked about the great golfers, and I'll use Tiger Woods, one of the things Tiger Woods always said was he always had a plan for where to miss, right? So if the, if the if you're 150 yards away and the pin's dead center, you want to hit it as close to the pin as possible. But he always made sure that if he was going to miss hit it, he would miss hit it into a location that he knew he, he could recover and still get a, a good score. And I like to look at, my progression and and evolution of leadership of I push my team to fail all the time. Like, I mean, I want them to be pushing the envelope. I'm fine with it, right? Fail forward, but learn how to fail on purpose, right? And when I say on purpose, I'm missing, I know where I'm missing. If I'm going to fail, I'm missing to a strategic location that I can recover. It might push us to the next thing we're doing. It's not so just crazy and abstract that, you, you know, you're bankrupting your company, be strategic in how you fail, but push to fail. So it's funny that you say this very similar approach that it's part of the process, man. Like when you work in the creative world, like both of us do, if you, if you don't do that, you're done. I think as a leader, you have to have the ability to, as you say, identify where the misses could be, but in your course correction, it needs to be small and incremental. Because the last thing you want to do is it feel like a major pendulum swing because yeah. then your team feels uncertain. You know, if, if you're ever on a plane, you never notice if it got off course that they would make small changes to get back on course. If they made this major jerk and everyone would be uncomfortable for the rest of the flight. Our teams have an ability to be that way. If, if we get so under pressure and we've not created ourselves and conditioned ourselves, and our close leadership team to be able to make small course corrections, then then your team is going to feel like they're jerked right and left all the time, and that's their then their life becomes turbulent because their business world is turbulent. Uh, great analogy too. 
Uh, again, like it's like three things I'm stealing from you that I'm gonna you're gonna hear me you're gonna hear me on podcasts and interviews just re-quoting all this stuff. You're like, dude, I gave you all that. I'll try to remember to credit you any anytime. No, sir, that. not not necessary. You are my friend. Where much is given, much is required, and I freely give. So <laughs> so I want to talk uh last few minutes here. I want to talk a little bit about fashion. That is okay. your world. I I am deeply passionate about it as well. So I guess I want to say first, what's new? What's the trend? What is what should we expect to see through 2023, maybe into 2024? Is there anything that's that's a drastic change or something different that would that's unexpected? You know, silhouettes are are loosening up. That's that's the biggest thing you're going to see. Before I get on that, I'll say when you and I met in October 2019. You know, I was pushing for the resurgence of the Roaring Twenties because I, I had this whole concept and design concept behind it. And, and unfortunately, it got off to a, a side that we, we didn't see, but I think on the, on the second half. Overall, we're seeing more luxurious fabrics, more kind of unusual blends. We are also, like I said, seeing the silhouettes loosen. We're seeing pleated trousers come back in, in, in a major way. Uh, you know, you go to Italy and, and, and it's, it's, it's everywhere and, and part of, of what we're seeing the future going to be. You know, the, the concept of a guy looking like he wore his little brother's suit is definitely changing. Uh, where, you know, to, to dress for the body you have, not the body you want. And that's the beauty about custom that, you know, it, you can have it where, where you will look your best and, and it will accentuate where it needs to, rather than trying to fit in a trend. Uh, you know, what is East Saint Laurent said, a trend is the next step before tacking. So I think not following trends, but trying to identify your own personal style, which we've talked about uh, before, but, but having that goal and deciding, you know, how the way you present yourself to the world you want to represent. So somebody asked me in an interview the other day, what was my big idea for 2023? And I said, to be everything I wanted to be in 2019. That was my big idea for this year. So it's, I think we left some things on the table when we're playing catch up and the fabric mills are, are you know, being you know, overrun by energy costs in Italy with what's going on in, in that part of the world. And so they're not investing a whole lot in new creativity. So we're going to see a lot of things come back from the archive, which I always love. And just finding, I mean, like today I'm wearing a very wide, expressive lapel, uh, which just kind of balances out who I am uh, as of my size. But just just finding, I, I think you're going, to, you're going to get a very 1930s, 1940s feel out of some of the stuff coming, coming out in the next couple of years. And uh, I, I think we're we are done with with wearing everything that that doesn't fit correctly. Now I got to go look at my suits and reevaluate. I know. Well, I just that's, got that's that all, suit that came in. I, I think you're going to look dynamite in that. Very very happy. Well, make that work. well, I love the, the fabric. Is actually it's it's unique. It's different. It's not something you're gonna you see every day. So I'm, I, I love it. That that is that is something. Of, basically, that is very classic. Donegal fabric. If you don't know what Donegal is, uh, Wikipedia will will tell you what it is to the listeners. But that's that's a um, very traditional tweedy fabric, but it's got two percent stretch in it, and so it's made it more lifestyle friendly, more travel friendly. So that that's going to the archives and then taking some of the new things we've learned and and spinning the yarn in a different way. That that's a that's a whole lot of fun. 
and some of the fabric mills are in the most beautiful place in the world. Uh, in, in Biela, right off Lake Como, you, you can't ask for a more beautiful place to, to get creative. So. It's so funny. I was going through, I had a bunch of fabrics from you. I was going through as I was going to make a new suit. And literally that fabric, I mean, when I tell you jumped off the page, it was like, it was the only one that I was staring at. And I was like, uh, I need that. I need that now. And I literally text you. I was like, uh, bro, took a picture like this one. Need it now. <laughs> you know, and it's sometimes, sometimes it speaks to you. Uh, our, our mutual friend, Shadia Taylor, who works for me for many, many years, she said uh, when she would go on buying trips with me, she said, I, I know when you're going to buy something and I know you're going to buy it deep because your eyes light up and your your whole energy changes. So so there, there's something about it. It's it's speaking to you and, and it being fun and giving you the confidence uh, that that you want. Because there's there's nothing there's nothing worse than settling. Could not agree more with everything in life, especially clothes. With everything, with everything, so, with everything. But you know, and, and, and that being said, the the biggest reasons that people settle is because they don't think they deserve better. Because like, when, especially when you talk relationships, when it comes to love, a lot of times we accept the love we think we deserve. And so you find yourself in a situation where no one locked you in there except for yourself because you thought that was all that you deserved. And you may have not been able to have the patience to wait until you could find the person that had the energy and that had the same goals and all that. So it's sometimes we, we do it to ourselves when we settle. Because we don't think we deserve better. It's true. I tell you, I have part of what you know, on the leadership piece for us that I am so you know obsessed with is I want to see people win, and I want to see them. I don't think people most people don't recognize or realize how gifted, talented, and amazing they are. And as a leader, it's my job to pull that out of them. It's to see things in them they don't even see in themselves, and to really maximize who they're supposed to be. And there is just there's nothing better than seeing someone blossom when to see them not realize their capabilities and then start to tap into it and watch that unfold to become the person that they're, they're supposed to be and not settling and assuming that's it. I've, I've hit my peak. There's, there's no better feeling for me than seeing other people evolve and be able to play some form and small part in that is just, God, it's such, it's so great to see. And I'll take what you just said and circle back around to where I was talking about community earlier. You'll never find out how to, how to help them grow until you take the time to get to know them. Because if you don't invest in getting the time to understand someone, everything else is just your opinion that you're trying to fit them into a box. So having those authentic conversations that allow you to get to know the underneath of, of who they really desire to be then you can pull out the talents that they have that they don't know they have. Yeah, that's so true. Man, I can't thank you enough for spending some time just, just getting to, to catch up and chat a little bit. I, I honestly got hope that whoever might have been watching or listening today, that there was something that was said that helps, that might benefit you, uh, might make you think differently might help you give grace to someone today as you interact with people. But I can, I will tell you, I, I could not be happier for you personally and professionally. I cannot wait to, I've known you for oh, well over a decade now, and I cannot wait to meet your, your soon to be new other half. 
it is it is beautiful to see and and hear it in your voice and watch it in in how your life is evolving with this amazing human being that you have next to it by your side now. So I'm so happy for you, my friend. And uh, I can't wait to be in the same room, cheersing a bourbon together. Sure. It's something we do very well. Well, and, thanks uh, as all for, for having me. And, uh, you know, I, uh, definitely ready to spend some time together somewhere. And, uh, I, I admire what you're doing and, uh, look, look up to you as, as, as a great leader of leaders and, uh, happy to call you my brother and friend. Thanks, brother. Hey, look, if they want to find you, if they want to find Copley, if they want to check out some of these amazing suits that I get to wear from you, where can they, what's the best place? Where, they, where can they find you? Uh, so uh, copley.com, C-O-P-P-L-E-Y. That'll take us into all of our facets of social media. That, that's, a, that's a great place to, to launch from and, and uh, you know, to explore. There, there's a retailer zone that you can find, uh, a retailer, someone who carries our brand in, in, in your local community. So that, that's, that's the best place to start. Perfect. There you go. Uh, if you want to find us, you know where you can. And myself at Chris Adams underscore EAG, www.ellisadamsgroup.com or at Ellis Adams official. We'd love for you to continue to take this journey and ride along with us. And uh, please know for anyone that is watching and listening, we're always an open book. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Mr. Maddox, have a wonderful afternoon. Chat soon, my friend. <laughs>